This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the program that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan and today we're talking about helping people cope and even grow through incredible loss and adversity. My guest today is Dr. Rob Fazio, a licensed psychologist who lives in southern New Jersey. Rob is the founder of Hold the Door, an organization dedicated to helping others through loss. He has worked with Hold the Door for others for 16 years, and I'm going to ask Rob to share the beautiful story of Hold the Door with you. Hold the Door is described as a non-profit organization that focuses on emotional profit providing resources and opportunities to help people grow in healthy ways when faced with adversity. And I really love, Rob, one of the things on your website that that reminds people that there is a way to grieve and grow at the same time. And I think that's such an important and powerful message. Well, you took my best line already. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we're off and running. Excellent. Rob teaches people to grow before, during, and after trauma, in crisis, or loss. And he's someone who's doing a stunning job of putting really important, helpful information on a difficult topic out into the public domain in ways that we can all use it. He's got a doctorate in counseling psychology and a whole lot of lived experience. Rob, kia ora. We are delighted to have you with us on Bringing Wellbeing to Life. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming me into your conversation. And um, as I can tell, you're passionate about this work too. So hopefully we do some good. So Rob, what I'd love to ask you is, there is such a beautiful story behind Hold the Door. And um, I'd like you to tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Back on September 11th in in 2001, uh, my dad was working in New York City. Um, He grew up in the Bronx and worked in New York his his whole life. So it was a big part of of who we are. And um, he was a reinsurance accountant. And on September 11th, he was on the 99th floor of the South Tower. um, And he saw through the window, the first plane hit the tower. And so he was a very quiet um, man. Um, and for some reason, he decided that he needed to be a vocal leader and started um, telling people that they needed to, to leave the building, even though at the time they were saying to stay. And so he was on the phone with my mom a couple of times, So I, and I was in Richmond, Virginia, and we all just presumed that he was going to be fine and he was okay. And through tracing his steps, people kept calling the house and saying, where's your dad? I was with him. He held the door for me. He held the door. He told us to get out. Um, but unfortunately, he, he didn't make it. Um, so that, that inspiration of the last few moments of my life, putting others first, really gave us um, a foundation, a platform, a way to live our lives, and a way to really connect with people through this metaphor of holding the door for people. And, and, you know, we always say that my, my dad held the door for us, but we have to help people walk through it. And so that has become a big mantra for us is really meeting people where they are, inviting them towards this, this growth. And that was, that was the inspiration for the name. And um, here we are. You must have been so incredibly proud and moved when, when you heard from all these different people that that, were, that, was, that was your father's final few hours dedicated to helping others. 
It's incredible. And, you know, I know people thought I was weird in the, the, the weeks after. So probably at the three week period, you know, we knew how medically he couldn't be alive and something had happened, but the amount of admiration and pride for someone that um, just, just thought of other people, right. He could have, and, and we don't know. There was a lot going on. I'm grateful. We have this story. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very grateful for that and appreciate that we have this story because a lot of people don't have yeah. the story of, of what happened those days or in any other tragedy. Yeah. And, and it's a story of him. You, there's a certain calm in holding the door for others. It's such a simple gesture that has such a powerful impact. And I, I just remember at his memorial service, um, you know, sounds terrible, but a lot of people didn't find their remains, their bodies. So what we did was we took things that he loved, the memorabilia, and put them in, in a coffin. I can remember, you know, doing the eulogy and saying, you know, my, my dad was one of the quietest men you've ever met, but we're going to make sure his legacy is loud. And so that, that helps me mm-hmm. keep his, his spirit alive. Mm-hmm. And tell us now about how you have kept honored your dad's memory and, and how you are keeping his spirit alive through Hold the Door. Yeah. So there's, there's so many different things that I think that go into, into helping people. And, and a lot of people are saying, why don't you do a, a scholarship or something like that? But we wanted to do something that we knew would have a lasting impact, but then also those people who are experiencing um, what we do, being able to help others. So everything that we do is, is based on three three processes, which is connect, care, and challenge. So that works for you as an individual, self-connect, being aware of your emotions or triggers or potential negative um, negative things that can go on. Um, care is if it's self-care, it's making sure you're caring for yourself mentally, physically, spiritually. And then where we are different is the challenge part where I only have one rule for hold the door day. It's when you come in to experience what we're doing, you have to be stronger in some way than you, when you came into the door and that, that strength can come through growth in I, I made a new relationship or that growth can come through. I'm thinking about things a little bit differently. So, you know, in, in our research, when we were starting, I kept coming back to this whole idea of resilience it's so important to have both support and challenge. So it's essentially, we give you a big hug and while we're hugging you, we're helping you walk a little bit more forward. <laughs> I love that. It's the challenge to grow. Right. And um, I'm also a big believer in you're doing some rewiring there when you're not just letting the grief have all the control over the experience. And Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just because when you're talking about it and saying challenge to grow, it reminds me of when we talk about the four functions of resilience. We know there's childhood adversity, major trauma, daily hassles. And then the fourth one is to to take on new challenge yes. to grow. And I think about that as um, when I feel secure in myself and I have a safe nest, I'm able to fly from it. And what you do is give people the safe nest and the big hug and then say, now fly again. Yes. And, and there's something I think powerful about 
doing it in that sequence of connect, care, and challenge. Um, so we we call the people that that help us facilitate these in different ways growth consultants. Um, and so I guess we're up about 18 years or so now doing this. And the whole idea is there's some key principles that if you want to be a partner to help someone grow, um, you need to understand that you, you first got to have to connect and then you have to care and then challenge and you can, it's an ebb and flow throughout those. But we, as human beings, some people are more predispositioned to connect and just stay there. And some people are predispositioned to care and just stay there. And some people challenge and just stay there. So we really do this. We, we really encourage, well, make our growth consultants understand the importance of not just being you and bring other parts of other people. So we have our growth consultants in some way, try to experience this, even if they didn't have a trauma. So they understand the importance of this cadence and the process of it. You know, you, you learn through time. There's times where I have um, brought in, uh, you know, someone to be a growth consultant and facilitator. And, and usually, um, when we're having an event or in the morning, we have most important thing is for growth consultants to connect with one another and, and, and tell their stories. And th there's been so many years where growth consultants will be hearing a story or sharing a story and it taps into something. And sometimes that thing makes them stronger for the day, but sometimes they tapped into something where they're talking about something and they say, you know what, I'm not ready to be in a position to keep people safe. And we say, okay, do you, do you want to go through the program as a participant or do you just want to go home or what do you want to do? And I've just learned like wounded ducks can heal people, right? If you're, you know, if you're hurting, which we all do yeah. in that moment, it's okay to take a step back, back and yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the first part. The first part is saying, hi, I'd like to come through as a participant. And then maybe next year. Yes. I'll be back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we really, um, yeah, that, so I think that's, that's a, has been become a very meaningful aspect of it is we all feel like we're growing yeah. each time we, we, we try to help people. And Rob, I know that a big part of your work is the, the acronym GTLA, Growth Through Loss and Adversity. And it, it's such an important concept. And do you want to talk a little bit about it to about how central this belief is to the work you do. Yeah. So, you know, um, on the personal side, I always, I always wondered if I could be a strong person and I, I didn't have a lot of confidence as a kid. I had a lot of anxiety and I always asked that self, like, am I a strong person? And then my, in my, first graduate work, I went into sports psychology because I love the idea of mental toughness and, and becoming strong in the moment. And then, you know, September 11th happened. And again, really fortunate that I was in a psychology program studying mental toughness and emotional intelligence and all these things. Um, and so that really became important to me. And what, I remember being, you know, doing my graduate assistantship in the, in the basement um, and thinking about what I was going to, to do. And people kept talking, they kept using the word cope. So my advisors, all the psychologists, clinical counseling, social, everyone was like, you know, 
um, how are you coping? Or there's a real opportunity here for you to cope. And everyone kept asking, how come you're not breaking down? And I said, because I believe there's a way that we can find strength and growth in this. So then I just started taking a deep dive. There was a book called um, The Handbook of Bereavement. Um, that was this huge, thick book, thicker than my stats book. So I was afraid of it. But um, I literally just dove into that. And I, at heart, I, I'm, a, I'm a human being, which means I enjoy the connection, the practitioner part. Uh, the research part, I tend to leverage other people and stuff because I, I'm more on the human side. That's, that's my passion. That's what I love. But I knew I needed to have theoretical foundation um, because I received too many B's in grad school. So I knew I needed you know, a little bit more for that. <laughs> so, and so what I did was I went through that handbook. I started looking through all different research on what buffers the negative impact of trauma, right? And, but that's not good enough then what leads to growth. And some of the most important work I read around was uh, Tedeschi and Calhoun's post-traumatic growth. Their work was great. Um, they let me use their instrument for some of the research I was doing in graduate school. Um, so that was really the inspirational work, Tedeschi and Calhoun's work. And then there's a, a number of other researchers. Um, and what's beautiful about it is the that mindset and framework, you know, was, was out there for years and years ago. Um, and now growth mindset is like this huge thing, which is, which is great because it made it more, more popular, more people understand it. Um, but I, I kind of think it's pretty cool that we were talking about this stuff way back when. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, I find it lovely that, um, well, well, there's two sides to this maybe. And let's talk about this, that, that, um, there is a lot of research supporting the idea that we can grow through loss and adversity. And you mentioned, you know, post-traumatic growth, um, as well as growth mindset, all of this work. Um, and, and it kind of feels like coping is too low a bar that, that we have to, um, that we can allow ourselves to think that we can grow and be stronger by what we deal with. Do you ever worry that that talking about growth and loss through adversity puts more pressure on people? I think it does. And it's not the, the pressure that um, I'm worried about. It's that um, people feeling more like a victim and like, oh, I have another thing to do on my own. Um, and I also think it's, it's, it's our job and my job to help people manage that pressure and to try to take some agency and ownership. Because I do believe, you know, Look, we know about predispositions. Some people are just going to be naturally more resilient, right? And and just think a certain way. But I wasn't. And so that's why I'm a big believer that it, it can be learned. And I try to focus more on how can we be the bridge to get people that feel a pressure or don't know they can grow to do to, to realize they can. And so there's the inspirational part that there's there's a lot of stories that we have of that people that didn't think they could and then figured out that they, that they could. Um, and combining that with skill sets. So skills, like how do you remain positive? So I, what I feel is by focusing on the personal development of it is, Hey, here, here's a resource, throw it away, read it when you want, go online or not by removing the pressure and, positioning it as you may or may not get something out of this. Here's some 
people we've heard and that are willing to share the story that have. Just take a read in your own time and we try to help people create their own path so it doesn't feel like a have to and it's more like they're being invited to walk through the door but they're not being pushed. Yeah. And, you know, it feels to me that I think about people like George Bonanno's work showing that, you know, more than two thirds of any population facing um, a major adversity will come back to normal within a reasonable amount of time. But we will talk about what that is. But but um, it's also this idea that um, growth through loss and adversity isn't. isn't another burden that we're putting on you. It's a natural human occurrence. Yes. And we can help you help it unfold. Yes. And what we've also found is one of our philosophies is healing through helping others. So by taking the focus off yourself during the traumatic experience or the grief, we found that people have built much more resilience and have created community and built their growth skills. Um, and I, I struggle sometimes with some of the, the academic part of it and the research part of it, because um, I know there's some research that say that you, you know, if you're resilient, you can't be traumatized. And I actually, I don't, yeah, I don't believe it. Oh, that. yeah, you uh, and me both are. Yeah, are, right. Yeah. So, and you go, how resilient and how much trauma? And I, I'm, I'm, I immediately go to some of the, the people, you know, I'm thinking about some of the U.S. veterans from Afghanistan who suffered so much uh, appalling trauma and, and have PTSD. And I think we've got no right to say, oh, no, you should have had growth. Uh, right. It's so rude. It's just the most appalling thing to put on a person. And who's to say how resilient a person can become and how much trauma can, um, can undo that right. person? Especially when if we're talking about veterans, I'm not an expert in the area, but I've talked enough to know that they're taught to compartmentalize. And, and when you come home, reintegration, it's, it's not that easy. And then you're a loving mother or father and it's that's a big challenge we have, at least in the States. Yeah. Rob, what are some of the principles you use to help work with a range of people at Hold the Door? When we are able to do uh, one of our events, which we call Hold the Door Day, and the first part is connect or people telling their story, you know, we, we have some, some principles. One of them is don't try to fix each other. But the other one is you have to at least try to be open-minded. And we gently remind people if they go into their, you know, space. So it's kind of like, like a piece of paper, right? We all have this crease of the way we always interact and act. And you go into these conversations and you, you know, you try to be open-minded and unfold it. And then something stressful happens or you're talking about your experience, you go back to being closed. So Mm -hmm. I say like, let's try to decrease the crease and really work on, which is another growth skill. So I, I might be mad, but I feel like for the most part, most people you can reach in some way, shape, or form. We have people that have come back for maybe seven, eight years, and every year they come and they'll say something like, I'm not getting out of it. I'm not getting something out of it. But yet they keep coming back and like they're getting this experience. And so, um, so you know, I don't know if I answered your question, but I, I think that there's we always have to have the hope that if we're doing the right thing and really genuinely want to help people and challenge them to grow, that we keep trying to 
reach them. And I, I just think that we have to have that mindset and heart in it. And I think, you know, from what I'm hearing from you, obviously a predisposition or an openness to learning and experience is a help. Yes. But, um, but when we connect with people, that's, that's, an open, that's openness to experience. If someone will connect to you, they've got enough openness to experience. The other thing, Denise, that's really interesting is, so if you look at certain people and personalities, um, a lot of them, let's take someone, an extreme, like someone who has narcissistic personality disorder, right? The, the, their extreme is they go through the world being selfish and not being empathetic, essentially. The experience of others of that person is you're a jerk. So that person never gets to experience empathy because no one wants to give it to them. So we try to teach people that even though it feels bad, what they're doing, it has nothing to do with you. And and then we're creating a corrective emotional experience from Tabor's work on interpersonal process, which I find fascinating. And, And I believe that we can make little tweaks and help people that way. Yeah. You know, something else that I found in the last few years that that intrigues me with this work too is that um, if we think about resilience and different functions and aspects of it, just because somebody might not cope very well with um, the pressures of day-to-day life doesn't mean they don't cope very well with the big challenges. It's, it's, it's so interesting you say it. So my, my best friend is... Um, a retired sergeant NYPD was on the job for 20 years. And he says the same thing. He's like the big stuff, nine 11, I, I was able to handle it. It was tough. Hurricane Sandy, all this stuff. I handled. it's like, it's the little nagging stuff I can't deal with. It's, um, it's your new broadband provider dropping your landline <laughs> and needing 75 calls to get it fixed. Oh, that's live. <laughs> right. right. It's the yeah. person that you're interviewing telling you your mic your, your speakers are broke, but it's his mic. <laughs> a few years ago, my dad, um, my dad was dying, and I was really lucky that I got to go back to Ireland and look after him with my son. And wow. my son was going through a really rough patch at the time. Um, but when the chips were down and my dad was in pain, my son was the person who didn't run for the hills, who was able to hit, sit and hold someone in in a lot of pain for a long time. What a beautiful story. And yeah. yes. We, we don't, I mean, don't know. Can, I ask, you, can I ask you one question? Because yeah. it just struck me. Do you feel that we tend to see people in one lens and judge them and not give them a chance to, yeah. I think there's a real risk of that. You know, or we're seeing them through the, have you got your CV sorted? Are you climbing my ladder of expectation? As opposed yeah. to who are you as a person and what's important to you? Yes. Um, yeah. Right. And, and, and in relation to, you know, growth, if we see people as they're just focused on their loss or they're always crying, we won't be able to reach them. Yeah. This links, doesn't it, with um, work like um, acceptance and commitment therapy, where it's saying the first part is, accepting where you are, your situation, your chronic pain, whatever it is, and then committing to what does life in alignment with your values look like? Yes, I think that's great. And I, uh, early on in, in when I was getting trained as a psychologist, uh, the, the, the chair of the department gave me feedback and said, you know, Rob, 
you can't always be so happy when someone's in a depression. <laughs> because I kept trying to change them from being depressed, right? <laughs> so I, feedback taken. <laughs> but you know, sometimes, sometimes you might be the person who gives them a rest from being depressed, yeah. acting depressed yes. for, yeah. you know, yeah. a little moment. Yes, yes, exactly, right. I think he was speaking more to my, my uh, northern New Jersey style than anything else. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm sure that your northern New Jersey style is, is, is a key part of why Hold the Door is being such a wonderful organization for people to come and be with. Thank you. Yeah, there's, I mean, culture's a, a big part of it. And, um, you know, I come from a Sicilian family where warmth and emotion it's just always there. So there's upside to that and there's downside to that. But yeah, so people feel that, I think. Yeah, it's good. It's good. So if we come on and think about, I know one of the, one of the frameworks that you use in Hovador is the Others Framework. Can you share that with us? I'd love, I'd love people to hear about that. Yes. So I, I'm a big um, advocate for helping people build something in themselves. So we're, we're talking a lot about the process of growth through loss university, and this is the skill side. So what are the practical skills that people can develop? So they can take something that we say we found in the research that we know buffers trauma and adversity and leads to growth and it's tangible and, and we could do something with it. So, we created the, the Others Framework, which are eight resources that will help you. And for each of the eight resources, we have a definition, a skill, um, and ways that anyone within a five-minute conversation can do something with it. So it's very practical. And so the eight are, it's optimism, true meaning, humor, emotional intelligence, resilience, spirituality, self-confidence, and then the word others ties it all together. And others is about relationship building and healing through helping others. Um, and with the help of uh, Jason Briggs and Dr. Ty Abershid, we created something called the GTOS, which is the Growth Through Adversity Survey, uh, which by the way, anyone can take and is, is free. Um, and that's really where people get a starting point of what are their relative strengths? What are their areas of, of development? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm big on self-learning as well. So we have this growth guide where people can learn different ways. to so let's say increase their humor or emotional intelligence. Um, so I, 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 I view it as we're, again, we're holding the door and we're showing you where you can go, but you've really got to, Get there. You're sharing um, the others' framework and the skills. People can you, people can get a sense of how strong or not they are on some of these skills and strategies. And then my question for you is: when um, when people see the results of their GTAS, do you encourage them to work on their strengths or to develop their weaknesses? Yes, both. Nice <laughs> <So. laughs> <I> answer. <laughs> yes. So we've always, because of the challenge part, it doesn't matter whether it is a, a weakness or a strength, you're still challenging yourself to grow. And so um, 
if there is something that is is really a weakness that is holding you back, which would you know we could say a potential derailer, mm-hmm. um, we want to address that. So if someone has really low emotional intelligence and doesn't understand their impact on others or how their emotions through the day or what their grief grabbers are and triggers. We're going to address that and say, listen, we need to do this, but let's say they have a really great sense of humor. Great. Let's double down on that. What are some instances you do that more? Can you help some of the people in this group that aren't that funny learn about humor? Right? So we, we want to do both. And the interesting thing is I, I encourage growth consultants to do this, but they're so, good and better than me. They tend to just do what they want within a framework and that it comes out better. But I always, I always want it to be um, both self-driven and also growth consultant driven. So in, in coaching and counseling, we realize the whole idea of unconditional positive regard and letting people create their own goals. I, I disagree with that partially because I think sometimes people also need some direction from a different perspective. So I might say you pick one resource that you want to work on. It could be a strength or a weakness. And I'm going to pick one that I want you to work on over the next few months. And here's why. Cool. And so I guess, which brings me to the question of, so with the, do you think the others framework is suitable for um, helping the bereaved to use for themselves? Or do you think they need to be working with a therapist? Oh, I absolutely think that you can do this on your own. So we look at uh, the work we do. We use our words very carefully, growth consulting, right? It's not therapy, right? So it's educational. And, and obviously in our resources, there's things on when things move beyond, you know, grief or you need help. But um, it is something that is designed to be easy enough for the everyday person to pick up, to read, to go through the exercises and do also on the professional side, you know, we've got some of those articles that help therapists, psychologists um, in how to use the framework to bring someone along in therapy through the other's model. Um, But so you you could definitely use it for both. And I'm guessing there are, there's the middle ground, which is there'll be helping professionals who aren't therapists. hundred percent. So we, um, just during the COVID-19 crisis, we really did a lot of outreach. There were hospitals that needed help because doctors are being repurposed. Um, and we taught the framework to people from a perspective of when I see someone that is really having a tough time, is there anything that I can do? What things can I talk about? So learn this framework, talk to them about it. You're not doing therapy, but you're giving them some resources to help themselves. Beautiful. In the early years, we would primarily focus on a person facing some type of adversity, trauma, loss, sickness. Then over the years, we've evolved to having two tracks. There's a growth initiative, and then there's a helper initiative. So my wife has her uh, doctor in communication and studies um, interpersonal communication and helping skills. So we've created now... Um, more and more resources around how do you be a helper and how do you help people? But you're right. There's, you know, it's, it's confusing times. People don't know what to say, what to do often. Um, and sometimes just the provision of some resources and a little bit of a, advice or structure allows people to feel, okay, I've got it. I've got a plan. 
Yeah. I've got three good things I can do. So it's, it's interesting in the, in my, you know, uh, professional work, um, I say professional because a nonprofit, you don't get paid. I don't know what the difference is, but, but um, I, I use a lot of this. And for that, you know, oftentimes there's similar stuff. Like there's an executive that gets passed over promotion or politically has made a big step. And I say, at the end of the day, it's the same thing. People need hope and a plan, right? They need to know that someone's on the same team and they've got something to do, which takes them away from ruminating over what's going on. I think something that's also really critical is, we never ask people to move on. We're always moving in and moving forward. Move in is understanding what's going on, realizing this is difficult, finding ways to move forward, moving back in. So we, I don't use the words move on or I try not to. I don't, I don't think that telling people to let go is helpful. I don't think that the word closure has really helped anyone in my experience. The opposite of hurrying people to move on is really about allowing their grieving to have the time and space it needs. How important do you think that is? I really believe that if we, if we try to hide from it, and when I say hide from it, I mean not deal with it at all. I don't believe everyone has to have breakdowns and all that, but if we hide from it and we don't keep it in our awareness and do whatever we do to process it, I believe no human is immune to it manifesting in some way, shape or form, whether it does bodily harm through anxiety, through, you know, through different um, things to your, your body or it ruins relationships. I, I think that it always catches up with you. And, and I love the notion that how I process my grief and how someone else does may be completely different. And for some person, it's about sitting and talking over cups of tea. And for someone else, it's putting up a fence. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it absolutely, um, it is. And that, I think that's one of the gifts from doing this work is you see so many different perspectives to the same the same situation. What are some of the things that you encourage people to do when they are supporting people who've experienced loss? I think empathy goes a long way as, as well. And figuring out what is helpful to that person. So oftentimes we have these narratives of what people should do and what would be helpful to them. So asking directly what would be most helpful to you? It might be, Rob, can you just shut up for a few days, right? <laughs> what is going to be most helpful? There was a woman that was doing a lot of work with Navy SEALs on bereavement and grief. And she told me a great story of how people just kept getting her blankets after her husband died. She's like, I have so many blankets. I don't need a blanket, right? Like, <laughs> so I think being mindful of what is helpful to the receiver is Really important. And I love what you said. You don't have to mind read. You can ask. Of course. Yeah. Like, of course you know, ask. I was and thinking, I was thinking you might be sick of lasagna by now. <laughs> Is <yes>. that true? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And you'll, you know, and that naturally builds relationship. And some, literally sometimes it might be, I just need people to stop asking. Sometimes that's the answer. And that's, that's okay. Um, sometimes it's, hey, can we just have a normal conversation and you don't think of me as the person who just lost someone? Yeah. Yeah. Can you make me laugh? 
Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. That's so lovely. Um, and, you know, with this conversation, Rob, we're talking a lot about huge vulnerability. And, you know, you've just alluded to that with saying, you know, there you were in your non-COVID safe bubble, um, you know, pre-COVID. My life is a beautiful, wonderful bubble. And, and then that was shattered with your father's death. And, and, um, and we have this enormous vulnerability and it's like all the nerves are on the outside rather than the inside. Um, and we have to come to terms with something that most of us don't want to accept. So where does vulnerability and acceptance fit in all this work? I think it's, I think it's critical. I think that um, you're so much more connected to people, influential and genuine when they know you've suffered or you're in pain. Not that you have to make up stories. Now, I, people always used to question why I didn't get angry as, after 9-11 and I didn't cry publicly. That doesn't mean that I didn't cry. I would listen to music. I would think of my dad. Um, so I grieved in my way, but I share that. And I think trauma, I've, I've, seen, I've seen some writing about this, but it's so interesting, the physical side. So we're, we're right before Friday, September 11th. And every year I go down the memorial um, this year's obviously is a little bit different, but I'm still going to go. But um, our bodies are so connected to our adverse experiences. I went, um, I used to get a massage pre-COVID every month because I have a herniated disc. I went six months without any tweaks, without a massage. I woke up this morning and my neck acted up. And I know right every year, right around this time, I'm going to be a little bit more emotional. My body's going to ache a little bit more. I'm going to be a little bit short with the people I love, a little more short than usual. Um, and, and it's just now it's part of my life, but I, I know it is. So I try to stockpile positive experiences, interactions with people that I enjoy, putting passion into work, working on hold the door to try to buffer some of that. We do a lot of work with strengths. When you're dealing with someone who's suffered a huge loss, how do you start a conversation about strengths without them wanting to smack you? <laughs> uh, so then this is where the um, managing the speed in which we get to growth, right? Um, and how it's framed. So that's why connect, care, and challenge help so much because connect is all about letting people tell their story and understand them. And sometimes it takes months or weeks, but sometimes you can do it in one, in one conversation. And I always go back to making sure they know we're on the same team and I invite some tweak to their perspective. So if they get caught up in, I'm never going to feel love again like I felt from Susie. Um, I'm never, you know, I won't say that's not true. I will say, you might, you might be right. You might be right. And I will say, I'll, I'll let that go and I'll let the conversation go. And I'll say, you know, I was thinking what you said before, um, but you seem like someone that connects with people really well. Would you want to have love like that again? And, and oftentimes what I found my mom went through this where as soon as she would feel happy, she would feel guilty and trying to help her realize that you can have both. Right. Um, 
And this is where culture comes back to it. You know, if it weren't for my mom, she'd still be wearing black every day and walking around talking about my dad. And, and I think that um, the relationship we have with relationships and how we define them is, is, so in, is so important. And just realizing that we're all telling each other a story. And that story doesn't have to be the facts and getting so caught up in, in, um, in the future. So I don't try to push people to say, oh, you have to do this or, you know, everything happens for a reason or those types of things. I try to sit in it with them and try to invite them to see it in a different way. Um, yeah. And, and part of that way is um, helping them to see a possible story where they are a person with strengths. Yes. And so one of the things we have now, let's say that conversation doesn't get anywhere. That That's okay. Um, some people like to write. So I'll say, okay, in the workbook, we have stories of loss and stories of growth. Can you look at that and see if there's anything that taps into your own stories of growth? Um, we talk about eventually how would you want to honor this person if you could. And a lot of it all depends on how raw they are in that moment about how high the emotion is and, and whatnot. Sometimes the most appropriate thing to do is just to be there and stabilize and help them have coping mechanism so they can get to the growth. But other avenues, you know, um, what, what movies have you watched where you've seen someone have an experience but really admired the strength that they had? You know, who, who, what famous people have a story of strength that you can really align with and be proud of? Um, and I also let people say what they really want to say to me, like, Rob, this is a bunch of BS and I don't believe it, right? I let them- Leave me alone, not today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In all of the work and the strategies that you share with people, is there one that you see as most useful for helping professionals to use? No. And and (laughs) I I say no because it is so unique to your individual gifts, genuineness, and passion. So when when- I try to screen for growth consultants and we see if we can have people come. I personally want people that understand the philosophy, but will go in there and use their gifts. And that's usually how we start off is you're here, you have gifts, help and do it in the way that you see fit in the moment. So I apologize for being snarky, but I really mean it. You've got to bring yourself... Yeah, you've got to bring yourself and your gift and all these tools and research and all that stuff... Great. Have that in your back pocket, but lead with you and and what's going to connect to them. Connect, Care and Challenge is such a great framework. Where can people find out more about it? Um, on our website, there there is an article there and a book chapter where it tells you if you wanted to use that. Um, I think it's also great for newer helpers that are in situations. Um, and what we we know is it comes down to being able to build a relationship, having some sort of a plan. And this comes back from all the work on common factors uh, with Hubble, Duncan, and Miller. And it's so, um, it's so simple. The humanistic side is powerful. Just complement that with some, with some skills of your own. What's your mental health or well-being strategy that really helps you look after yourself in challenging times? Uh, I, I do things like this. I, I really enjoy having conversations. I really like putting energy 
into something that feels purposeful and meaningful. Um, I, I mean, I have so much enjoyment with my family. Um, my daughter is four years old. Her name's Reese named after my dad who loved Reese's peanut butter cups. So yeah. Uh, um, so it's just, um, really being intentional about stockpiling positive experience, reconnecting to joy and enjoyment, but what I enjoy, and you have to be selfish about this once in a while, it can't just be enjoyment, meaning like, oh, everyone's around laughing and having fun. Like, what really gives me enjoyment? So um, I enjoy giving presentations. I, I get enjoyment out of that. Um, I, I get enjoyment out of doing simple things like golfing for the most part. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so really knowing. And so with, with Hold the Door, when um, the, the crisis started, we put together some things around what we call flattening the anxiety curve because anxiety is a big part of it. And quite simple, learn, laugh, and love. 15 minutes a day, pick one of those things, something that you can learn that's new so it keeps your brain active, laugh, have enjoyment, and then love. And that could be self-love or connecting with people um, so that – I also love creating new things, new ways of, of thinking about um, things. So I do that. Um, and I really appreciate humor. You know, that's, that's probably my favorite resource where you're laughing. And, but I'm not, a, I'm not a big, like, watch a comedy. I'm more of, like, laugh with somebody. Um, that's more fun for me. This is gorgeous. Rob, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm going to take – Learn, laugh, and love away as my, that's my good thing for today. Thank you so much for being with us. I know that people will really enjoy listening to what you have to share. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. You can listen to a podcast of this show on oar.org.nz or on nziwr.co.nz or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. This program has been brought to you by the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience. To purchase books or online programs on coping with loss and resilient grieving, go to nziwr.co.nz. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.